Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Uh, Acts chapter 20 will be our text this Lord's Day. And uh, as you turn there, just a word of thanks. Uh, I did not uh, expect or know about that today. But um, for Sandy and I, we are very thankful for God allowing us to be here and to serve at Bloomfield. And uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that before I get all weepy and emotional and uh, try to get into the sermon and not make it an hour long today. So, um, But we're very thankful to be here. And we pray that God allows us to continue to minister and that he will continue to use us in this community along with you uh, to be a light for the gospel of Christ. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 20 verses 13 through 38. Uh, If you've been with us, you know in our study of Acts, we have seen God do amazing things through Paul. It wasn't that long ago we were in Acts chapter 7 and 8 and we were reading about uh, the persecution in the early church and how People were being put to death for their faith. And Paul, also known as Saul, was one who was putting them to death. And so now as we come to chapter 20, we can step back and be reminded of the power of the gospel to take this one who once was a great enemy of the gospel, uh, who's now a great champion of the gospel. It's, it's a reminder to us uh, that God can do anything with anyone. Uh, that we should not write anyone off or think that, well, the Lord will never do something in that person's life. Surely many would have said that about Saul, the great persecutor of the faith. But now we see how God is using him. And so as he's using him, Paul has gone on these different missionary journeys. And he's been going throughout the Roman Empire uh, talking to people about the gospel. And, And now we're on his third missionary journey as he is intent on going to Jerusalem where he feels the Lord is calling him to go, and yet he knows great persecution will come when he gets there. And along the way, he's been revisiting those he's ministered to. And so in today's text, we'll find him intentionally going around Ephesus. He has spent great time there ministering. He knows if he stops, he's going to stay for a long time. But he wants to give one last final charge to the leaders of the church there, to the elders. And so where we pick up in Acts chapter 20, verse 13 is Paul is now gathering together these leaders of the church to give them one last word before he continues on his journey. And so what he's doing essentially is these are are Paul's last words to them. And something I want you to think about today is the, the impact of last words. I've heard it often said that last words are lasting words. When we know someone's giving their, their last charge, their, their last word to us, well, well, we listen sometimes more intently. And I hope that we'll listen that way as we hear Paul's last words to the leaders in the church in Ephesus. And so we're going to look at verses 13 through 38. And so out of reverence for the Word of God, if you're able, if you would stand together as we read this text. Picking up here in verse 13 of Acts chapter 20, this is what God's Word says to us. Going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Medellene. And sailing from there came the following day opposite of Chios. And the next day we touched at Samos. And the day after we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. 
Now from Miletus, we sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things. To draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance of all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Father God, we pray that you might use this word in our lives today to draw us to faith and repentance, to help us respond to the gospel of Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Last words are certainly lasting words. We have before us this morning, in essence, last words from Paul to the leaders of the church at Ephesus. And we're reminded, last words are lasting words. I was thinking about this some time ago. You may have recalled or or seen back in 2007, September 18th, there was a, a professor at Carnegie Mellon University, Dr. Randy Posh, who had come to find out that he had pancreatic cancer and the doctors had told him that he only had about three to six months to live. And so he gathered his colleagues together, about 400 of them, and he presented to them what he called his last lecture. It would be the last time he would address his colleagues, but he wouldn't be addressing them about computer science, about his area of study. He was essentially giving his last thoughts to them, knowing that he wouldn't live much longer. And those thoughts resonated with many. In fact, 
While he passed away about a year later, the the video of that last lecture can still be viewed on the internet, and it has been seen at this point about 18 million times. In fact, that last lecture he gave in the following months after he gave it, shortly before he died in 2008, it was made into a book entitled The Last Lecture. It's been translated into 48 different languages. They've sold over 5 million copies just in the U.S. alone. It has resonated with many Not so much because Paul said something extremely profound that had never been said before, but simply because he was a man who knew that he was going to die, who gave parting words, last words, a last lecture. Last words are lasting words. If I were to tell you today was my last sermon at Bloomfield Baptist, which by God's grace it won't be, there was no date on the end of the quilt, so I'm hoping I've got a place to preach in the future, but, but we don't know what tomorrow holds. And, and if for some reason you and I both knew that this was it, these were my last words, perhaps that combined with last week's sermon on not falling asleep in church, maybe those things combined would keep you awake today, you know? You want to hear, well, what's the last thing he wants to tell us? Well, well, that's the context of what we have here in Acts chapter 20. It's very clear to the leaders in the church in Ephesus that these are Paul's last words to them. And this is a man, this is a situation where Paul has shared lots of words in Ephesus. We've talked about how he labored hour after hour after hour teaching the leaders in the church there. But he still has something else to tell them. Last words that will be lasting words. In fact, they will last, have lasted 20 centuries later till today. Now, we're still reading them, we're still learning from them. And so as we look at them today, I simply want us to ask ourselves a few questions. We see here the legacy of Paul. I'd like each of you today, each of us, to consider what, what kind of legacy will we leave? If we were to give our last words today, what would those words be about? And I want us to think of it along these lines. This is the first question I put in your notes there. Think about this question, point one. What do you treasure the most? What is the most important thing to you? And now for some of you, what may come to mind is something material. There's a a material possession that you treasure. There's there's something. For others, it might be a person, a relationship. You, You treasure this above all things. And there's different ways for us to think about this and think about what we treasure the most. So, for example, you may have had the question posed to you before. If, you're, if your home was burning and you could get one item out of that home, what would it be? It would probably be something that you treasure. Or another way, another question maybe you've been asked is, if you were going to be stranded on an island and you could have one thing with you, what would it be? And, and then you start to think about, well, what, what do I need to survive? I read an account recently of a group of children who were asked these questions, and when they were asked the question about what they would take on the island, many answered the way we would answer, you know, matches, uh, a knife. Uh, my favorite, though, was a young man who said, I'd take a boat to get off the island. <laughs> that would be a good possession to take. We, we think about these questions to help us consider what is it we treasure the most. As you read Acts chapter 20, it becomes very clear what Paul treasured. His greatest treasure was Jesus Christ. 
The thing he valued more than anything else in this world was the gospel of Jesus. That's what he talked about. That's what he preached about. And because of that, because he treasured the gospel of Jesus more than anything else, well, then he was willing to suffer for it, wasn't he? He recounts that in this passage, in these words to the Ephesian elders, as he talks about verse 19, how he served the Lord with tears and trials. But notice he says, those tears, those trials, that suffering and affliction, it didn't keep him from the mission. He kept sharing the gospel. Why? Because he treasured Christ. It was what was most important to him. And so he was willing to suffer for it. In fact, if you notice here, he goes on to talk about not only the suffering that's already happened, he talks about the suffering that's going to happen. There in verses 22 and 23, he talks about how he is constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. There's a sense there where Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit is leading me. I have no choice but in obedience to go to Jerusalem. And yet, notice what waits for him in Jerusalem and pretty much anywhere else he goes. Verse 23, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now think about that for a second. How would you respond if you were there And Paul was talking to you and he said, listen, I'm going to Jerusalem, but I know if I go, I'm going to get put in jail and I'm going to suffer. How would you respond to Paul? How would you respond this morning if I were to tell you uh, tomorrow I'm getting on a plane, which which I am actually, by the way, uh, going to Poland for a week. Uh, Ken Walker, we're going to do some discipleship training in the church there. I'll be preaching there. We'll be doing some other things there, planning there. Then coming back, we'll be gone a week to, to Poland. And in sharing about that, what if I were to tell you, now listen, um, there's a chance that I'm going to get arrested while I'm there. And, and actually, we found out that there's some folks upset about the gospel being proclaimed. And so, uh, we're, we're not really sure when we're going to come back. We're not sure if we're going to come back. How would you respond? I would think many of you would say, well, maybe you should go somewhere else. I don't imagine Sandy would be real excited about, <laughs> you know, if she was, then that would be a different set of issues. That, that, that's not a bad thing, by the way. I mean, that's human nature. We want to protect people. We want to take care of them. And, and so I, I would hope that many of you would say, well, now let's think about this. Let's pray about this. I mean, are you sure this is what God's telling you? Because that's dangerous, isn't it? But, but think about this for a second. Now think about the way we already talk to one another when it comes to going places, even when there's not danger. Even when there's not the threat of imprisonment and affliction. And sometimes in the church, we're, we're not very encouraging to folks when they start talking about going to other places. Going to different places. Going to other nations. I talked recently to some friends that you've met. The Clarks, they were here with us for about a year staying in our mission house. And they were sharing about all their experiences during that year. They spoke at our church, spoke to many churches. They were very affirming of our church and our heart for missions. But they shared with me that in a number of churches they spoke to, and they, this didn't happen here, but in a number of churches they spoke to, they said time after time people would come up to them after the service and, and would say, I can't believe you're going to do that. I, I would never get on a plane and go to some place I'd never been. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for that encouragement. <laughs> Jeff said he actually had this, you know, a bruise here from where his wife would grab his arm, you know, to say, don't say anything, don't say, hold, hold your tongue here. 
But we started talking about that and talking about, you know, so, so often people don't even think about it. They just kind of say it, not because they're worried something's going to happen. But because they don't treasure the gospel of Jesus going to the nations. That, that's the issue there. When we really treasure the gospel, then, then we live our life in light of the gospel. But so oftentimes we don't treasure the gospel because we so treasure our life. And we hold our life as more dear than the gospel of Jesus. And when that's the situation, well then, why get on a plane? Why go to a bad part of town? Why give sacrificially? Why give it all? Why even get out of bed on a Sunday morning when you could have slept in? Why not just live for yourself in what pleases you most rather than for the gospel? If we don't treasure the gospel, that's eventually where we go. And so notice here, the Apostle Paul, as he says the, the gospel is his greatest treasure, notice how he, he presents that. Verse 24, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul here in the Greek is using terms of measurement and comparison. He is using the same terminology one would use to measure and weigh something. And this is what Paul is saying. He is getting out the scales and he's saying, let me tell you what my life is worth. Let me, let me tell you the value of my life. Now think about that for a moment. What, what is the value of a human life? Well, what is your life, what is my life worth? We say things like you can't put a price tag on it. But you know people do all the time. <laughs> In fact, uh, the government has a whole business of figuring out how much a life is worth, and they have to in order to come up with the accounting for different programs and different attempts. Well, if we're going to do all this to try to preserve life, we need to figure out how much is life worth and how much we're going to spend and what's it going to cost us. And so, if you're wondering what your life is worth, I'll tell you according to a few agencies. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, your life is worth $9.1 million. You may think, well, that's more than I had on the insurance policy. <laughs> the Food and Drug Administration says your life is worth about $7.9 million. The Department of Transportation says it's only worth about $6 million. How do you come up with a, a number to value a life? And then consider that in the context of Paul, because here's what Paul does. He stands there before the Ephesian elders and he says, let me tell you what my life is worth. Nothing. <laughs> my life's not worth anything, is what Paul says here. And he says that because he is weighing his life according to the gospel of Jesus. And he's saying, the gospel's what I treasure, not my life. And the gospel is worth everything. And compared to the gospel, my life isn't worth anything. Now think about that in our current context. Somebody comes to you and says, well, I just don't think my life is worth anything. What do you tell them? 
Oh, it's worth so much. (laughs) Oh, don't be depressed. Don't be discouraged. Paul was not suffering from depression here. Paul so treasures the gospel that he's able to say, my life is worth nothing apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, but in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it has infinite worth if I live for the glory of God. But here's how Paul gets there. Paul says his life is worth nothing because Paul has already died. See, that's the call of the gospel. That the gospel is not come to Christ and He'll finish what you started. The gospel is not try as hard as you can and when you fail, then come to Christ and He'll make up the difference. So, so the gospel is not, okay, here's, here's humanity and here's the righteousness of God and in our best attempts we can only get about this far and the gospel makes up the difference. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, then you first need to die to you. need to deny yourself, is what he says. You die to yourself. And so here is Paul who's come to that understanding that in order to respond to the gospel, the old Saul had to die, and then a new Saul had to be raised up. That's what the gospel does. That's, that's what the picture of baptism is. That's why we don't sprinkle. <laughs> so I want to do all these other things. That's why we take people in the water and we put them beneath the water and we identify as Romans does with that teaching that, okay, you're now buried with Christ in baptism. Old Richard, dead and gone, and a new man has come to, to life. That's a picture of the resurrection of Christ. It's a picture of what the Gospel does. And so here, Paul understands that, that, that he had to die in order to live in Christ. Question is, do we understand that today? Perhaps one of the reasons we struggle to treasure the gospel is because we haven't died yet. And we're still holding on to that old life. <laughs> There's some things about that old life that's pretty it's pretty appealing, isn't it? Why do we sin? Because we like it. Because <laughs> we want to. That there's things about our old self, they, they cry out to us, they scream to us, and we struggle and we're tempted. I like that better than this, especially, especially when you start to suffer for the gospel. And we look back so fondly on sin, don't we? Remember the people of Israel? 400 years of slavery. God is delivering them out of it. And along the way, as soon as a little bit of trial and suffering comes, what do they say? It sure was great back there, wasn't it? Friends, that's exactly what we do in our sin. We want to go back. And unless we die to it, then we will keep going back to it. read recently of a young missionary. This was years ago who... I was going to the Fiji Islands. If I told you today I was going on a mission trip to the Fiji Islands, you'd probably say, well, I'd like to sign up for that mission trip there. You know. But not then. <laughs> because this was years ago. The Fiji Islands at that point were inhabited by cannibals and savages. Now, that doesn't look so good on the brochure. <laughs> people weren't going there as tourists. But people knew about what was going on there. 
And this young man, James Calvert, felt so compelled to take the gospel to them that he decided, that's what God's calling me to, that's where I'm going. He gathered up others, they got on a boat, and they started heading towards the Fiji Islands. Along the way, they had many conversations with the boat's captain who became endeared towards them, began to really got, got concerned for them, worried for them. And so he started to talk to Calvert and said, listen, I don't know that you want to go to the Fiji Islands. There's cannibals there. There's savages there. You don't want to go there, do you? On one occasion in frustration, the captain finally said this, Calvert, you will lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. James Calvert said this, we died before we came. We died before we came. If you've already died, then there's nothing left to fear. If you already laid your life down for the sake of the gospel and said, Lord, the old me's dead, you do whatever you want with this one, then there's nothing to fear. But if we are surrounded by fear and anxiety and worry, the question is, have we truly died yet? Have we truly responded to the gospel yet? See, it's, it's become common in our culture among Christians to ask questions like, you know, if, if this were to happen, if this were to happen, are, are you willing to die for the sake of the gospel? That really the true question needs to be this. Have you already died for the sake of the gospel? What do you treasure? Question two. How then do you care for the things that you treasure? When you consider what it is you hold the most dear in this world, how do you care for that thing you hold the most dear? We tend to take care of things we treasure, don't we? We tend to take care of things that we place value on. And so, you may have a hobby, an interest, something that you've invested in. It is of value, so what do you do? You take care of it. My family recently got a newer vehicle. And so I did something that I haven't done. Uh, since we've lived in Bloomfield, I cleaned out the garage to get the vehicle in the garage. Because it was newer. We, we, had, we had invested in it. We, we wanted to take care of it. I actually went and, and cleaned it. I probably cleaned parts of it that, in all honesty, I doubt I'll ever clean again. <laughs> but there's something about that in there. Where when we have something new or newer, we want to care for it. We want to take care of it. And so we do all kinds of things to take care of the things we, we value, don't we? The, the, the gospel of Jesus was the most valuable thing to Paul. It's what he treasured the most. And so, notice in his words to the Ephesian elders, he speaks of the care we need to give to the gospel. And he talks about it in the context of the church of Jesus Christ. And that's important for us to note. Because if we treasure Christ, then we will treasure His church. That, that's the point Paul makes here. He says of the church that Christ... He gave His life for it. Verse 28, He obtained it with His blood. And so if, if the church of Jesus is the most valuable thing to Jesus, then we should treasure it, shouldn't we? We should care for it. We should protect it. And so Paul uses this language of wolves and, and flocks in order to put this point across. Verse 29, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you And they're not going to spare the flock. 
And so he gives this, this imagery of a wolf seeking to devour a, a flock, a flock of sheep or, or whatever that flock might be. I, I read a book uh, a few years ago by a man named Tim Laniak and He's a theologian, but he wanted to understand better this imagery of shepherds and sheep and wolves, and so he actually spent a year of his life living with Bedouin shepherds and and just learning from them. And and on one occasion, he talked to them and later wrote about this whole aspect of wolves attacking the sheep. And so he asked the shepherds, how do you protect the sheep from the wolves? And, and, And he recounted two things they told him. They said, first... At night, when it's particularly dangerous, we, we keep all the sheep together. <laughs> and so they would establish pens for them and put them in there. And oftentimes, as nomads, they'd be traveling, they would actually tie all the sheep together to protect them from the wolves. Because it's a, an isolated sheep is a dead sheep. <laughs> if it wanders off, it's easy prey. So we keep them together. It's the first thing we do. Second, we're always on the lookout for wolves. And so when Paul gives this imagery to the church and says, protect them, I think we need to think of those same things. One, we need to keep them together. And so if you today are a Christ follower and you struggle to to be together with the church, then, then that means you're easy prey for the wolf. But second, we need to always be on the lookout for wolves. And here, Paul helps us understand exactly what those wolves do. He says, verse 30, From among you a man will arise, speaking twisted things, and they'll draw the disciples away after them. That word twisted means to make something crooked. So essentially what he's saying is that in the context of the church, there's going to be some of us who start to twist the gospel around. We start to pervert it. We start to mess with it. And we start to say, in the name of Jesus, all these things that Jesus didn't say and didn't endorse and didn't teach. And he doesn't say the danger's from way outside there. He says the danger's going to come from within here. And so a fundamental call then of the pastors, the overseers, the elders in a church is one, tie those sheep up together. And two, always be on the lookout for wolves. And so that means one of the fundamental responsibilities I bear as a shepherd in this church, Pastor Nick, Pastor... Matt, fellow shepherds, fellow elders, fellow pastors in this church, is that we need to be watching for sheep, or watching the sheep and watching out for wolves. And one of the most difficult things about that is that oftentimes, in the context of the church at least, the sheep don't recognize the wolf. (laughs) And so when we call attention and say, watch out for this teaching, watch out for this twisting of the gospel, many times that the sheep will say, well, that's awful judgmental, isn't it? I mean, aren't they just another Christian? And what we do is we endear ourselves towards people and we don't consider how much they twist the gospel. In fact, we really don't think doctrinally about something. We just think emotionally about things. And then it becomes very difficult when we have this emotional attachment. And so Paul here warns the church and says, listen, If we treasure Christ, we're going to treasure His church. And if we treasure His church, we're going to protect His church. And if we treasure Christ, point three, then we must work, invest, and give to make Christ known. 
We must work, invest, and give to make Christ known. Paul here shares then in verses 33 and 34 about how he labored for the sake of the gospel. I've talked to you in recent sermons about how Paul would likely work in the mornings along with that community. And then in the afternoon, they had about a four, five, six hour break at times. And during that time, he would then teach them about the gospel. And then he'd go back to work. And the point of that comes out in this passage. Where Paul then says, I didn't ask you for anything. I labored with my hands. I worked hard. I wasn't lazy. Because I wanted you to hear the gospel. Because I treasured the gospel. And then he quotes there those words of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than receive. Now Paul says, do you remember Jesus saying this? Now for us reading the gospels, Jesus didn't say this in the gospels. This falls under the category of What we read about in John 21, there's many things Jesus said and taught that aren't recorded in the Gospels. And this would have been a part of oral tradition. And Paul received this teaching as many others did. And it was consistent completely with other things Jesus said that are recorded in the Gospels. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And it brings to mind that question we started with. What do we treasure? Consider this, Matthew 6, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he said this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. We tend in our culture to twist that and say where our heart is, there our treasure will be. But Jesus makes it really clear, no. Where you put in your treasure, whether you want to or not, that's where you're going to put your heart. So I can tell you today what you value. And you can tell me what I value if we take a look at each other's bank accounts. We go through the checkbook, credit card statements. We we can identify what we really value and hold dear. Now, side note, I balanced our checkbook yesterday. If you go through it, then you might conclude that I value Walmart, Dollar General, and Orthodontist. (laughs) That's where most of the money went. So so there's the understanding here. We, we, We pay for all kinds of things for shelter and food and to provide... But the bigger picture is, what else are we doing with our money? Now again, the response might be, well, you don't understand, things are tight, and we don't have much, and we're just getting by. But you do realize we live in one of the richest times in the history of man, and one of the richest places in the world, don't you? 